You're listening to Mystery Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will be discussing the Berkshires UFO. Welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. What are you guys up to today? I usually listen to podcasts when I'm getting ready in the morning or in those incredible afternoon hours when my youngest is taking a nap. I I hope he does that for a little bit longer. And my oldest is being babysat by dumb kid shows on Netflix. Those hours right before the witching hour. Ugh, how I hate the witching hour. If you don't know what the witching hour is, and I didn't know until a few months ago, it's that time, it's like that block of time when you cook and eat dinner, give the kids showers, help them brush their teeth, do story time, put them to bed, and all of those times that they come down to tell you, I'm thirsty, or I hear the wind, or my eyelashes hurt, yeah. That's the witching hour, and it's the worst. But enough about me. What about you? Are you getting ready to head out for the day? Are you exercising? Or are you settling down for bed and you want to listen to something super creepy right before you dream? Regardless of what you're doing, thank you so much for joining me today. I've mentioned in past episodes, I think every single episode, that my husband isn't into true crime. He pretty much hates it. He's super creeped out that I'm into it, actually. I imagine he thinks I just sit downstairs late at night watching true crime shows, taking notes in a little notepad on how I intend to murder him one day. (laughs) But why are you into true crime? Do you love the garish details? Are you interested in the psychology behind it? Personally, I just like trying to put the pieces together. It's my favorite, my absolute favorite, when the killer, abductor, bad guy, bad girl makes a mistake, and then law enforcement or or a lawyer is able to use that mistake to throw their butt in jail. I know a lot of my friends are shocked that I'm so justice-oriented. I think that I must come off as a super emotional person who is really in touch with their feelings, but... Brian will vouch that I am very much a justice person, and he's usually the one getting served that justice on a silver platter at our house. (laughs) Poor Brian, always losing debates, always getting into trouble. (laughs) Just kidding. He's great. He doesn't get in too much trouble with me. Oh, I should also mention before we get started, the winner of the $20 Starbucks gift card. So congratulations at JLo Baron. You are our winner this week. I will be reaching out to you shortly to get that gift card out to you. Thank you everyone for participating. We are going to do another contest very soon. Maybe when we get to our 10th episode or we hit 100 followers or something, I haven't decided. But keep sharing in the meantime and tagging people you think would like the podcast and maybe we can hit that 100 follower goal sooner rather than later. 
If you've been here for a while and you're having fun, I would love it if you would follow me on our Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved, or if you want, you could even leave a review or subscribe to the podcast. This way, you'll never miss a single episode. Also, even more true crime lovers will find me if you leave a review. So if you feel like doing it, I'm not going to pressure you, but if you feel like doing it, um, that'd be awesome. If you want to talk true crime or share your theories on today's or any of our previous episodes, join us on Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved. It really is a fun community and I love reading your thoughts and opinions on what we've talked about. I learned so much from you guys. Before we begin today's episode, I want to cite my sources. Obviously, a lot of my information comes from the episode itself, but I also did some research on my own. I used articles from Marie Claire, thetab.com, metro.co, and of course, the Unsolved Mysteries um, episode itself. Uh, This episode is titled, The Berkshire's UFO. On-screen text opens the episode. It reads, On the night of September 1st, 1969, an unexplained phenomenon occurred in Berkshire County, Massachusetts. An unexplained phenomenon. (laughs) Ominous. First, we meet an older woman, later identified as Jane Green, who has lived in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, since she was 12 years old. She says that years ago, she witnessed a strange occurrence. Her youngest sons also witnessed the same phenomenon in a separate location. However, their grandmother was babysitting them at the time and told them, don't tell your mom, we're not going to upset her about this silly thing. The sons never say anything to their mother. Jane never says anything to her sons. It wasn't until this episode was being filmed that the mother and sons ever talked to each other about it. They had been keeping this secret from each other for 50 years. And I blame grandma. Just kidding, but seriously, grandma. Jane's parents were prominent in the town because they owned the only pharmacy. She talks about how small Great Barrington really feels. You can't do anything without everybody knowing about it. And it basically sounds like a town I would hate to live in. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love to visit there and eat at their local diner and browse through some of their shops. But the idea of not having any privacy makes my skin feel itchy. I guess that's just that New York City girl in me. I know there are people out there who have the dream of living in a town where you know, reference to cheers, everybody knows their name. And when you walk down the street, everyone is shaking hands and hugging each other. But that life has honestly never, ever appealed to me. I just want to mind my own business and die in complete anonymity. That would be, that's like my dream. Just kidding. (laughs) Then we meet Tom Warner. His family has been living in their home in Great Barrington for six generations And we haven't really gotten into what's happened at this point, but as you can probably infer from the name of this episode, there's a UFO sighting. And boy, move! If you see a UFO in your town, move. If you get or even think you've been abducted from this UFO, move. Why the heck are you still living in Great Barrington? No, 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 no. Anyway, he was 10 years old when this all occurred. Then we meet Tom Reed. He was a Great Barrington transplant from Hollis, Queens. So I'm guessing that moving there was a huge culture shock. Um, 
because they're basically, they went from New York City to this tiny town in the middle of nowhere. His mom, Nancy, says she bought this restaurant in Sheffield, just a few miles south of Great Barrington, as a single mom to give her boys some stability in a safe environment. But Tom is saying that he actually never felt like they were received well within the community, and he always felt like they were treated like outsiders. Next, we meet Melanie Kirchdorfer. 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 <laughs> if that's your married name, girl, you should have kept yours. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, she's lived in Great Barrington since 1957. And again, I'm like, we have met three out of the four people who witnessed this thing that we're going to talk about, and they're still living in the town. Tom and Nancy are the only smart people in this documentary, and I'm not just saying that because they're from New York like me. Melanie says of the night in question that she and her younger sister wanted to go behind their parents' back and smoke cigarettes with their friends, and they were super annoyed when their parents made them get ice cream as a family instead. Because, you know, when you're 12, your parents are so lame, and you'd rather die than hang out with them or be seen with them. Gah, in the words of Jimmy Fallon's character, ew. We learned that all of the following sightings and experiences experiences occurred on September 1st, 1969, and everyone involved says that this night 50 years ago completely changed their lives forever. Jane says she and a friend were driving home that night. We later learned that Jane's husband is at work and we already know her kids are with grandma, so I'm just going to assume that Jane and Mary were having a fun night without their kids and husband, which sounds so freaking wonderful right about now. Don't get me wrong, I love my family, I love my kids, I love my husband, but this pandemic has been rough and they are just always here. Like, they are always around me, and I need a break, so I will remember that when they're not around. I miss them, but I'm not feeling that right now. <laughs> same? Anyone? Anyone? Same? Anyways, all of a sudden, these lucky, kidless, and husbandless ladies notice some bright lights ahead. Their immediate and practical thought is, oh no, there must have been a car accident. But as they get closer to the supposed scene of the crash... Uh, Jane has to pull over because the lights are just so bright and she doesn't feel like she can drive safely. They get out of the car and they notice the lights are not coming from police cars at all, as that they have previously suspected, but are in fact coming from a large metallic object hovering over them. She said, as immense as it was, what struck her more profoundly is that there was no noise coming from it. It was insanely quiet. She said she and her friend Mary watched it for a few moments and then it just lifted straight up and zoomed over the mountains. Sixth generation Tom. Guys, sorry, there's two Toms and two Janes in the series. So we've got New York City Tom and sixth generation Tom. We've got Mama Jane and Kid Jane. Sixth generation Tom remembers he was coloring at his neighbor's house that night, and he's talking about how his friend was always getting on his case to stay in the lines when he was coloring. And honestly, this friend seems like 
an absolute psychopath. Like, can we look into how she turned out? Because why are you at like 13 years old banging your hands on the table? This is their quote, not mine. They said that she would bang her hands on the table and yell at her nine-year-old friend that isn't coloring in the lines. Doesn't that at all seem a bit, I don't know, psychotic? <laughs> Jane Shaw is the older sister of the psycho neighbor who they never actually name, but Jane Shaw, which I'll refer to as Kid Jane, says while they're all coloring, sixth generation Tom just suddenly popped up and promptly ran out of the house. She said it scared the heck out of her. Sixth generation Tom explains that he was just looking out the window while at his friend's house, most likely contemplating how he could escape this obviously abusive friendship when he heard a voice from within say, you need to go home now. He was terrified and told his friends he thought God was talking to him from the clouds and that he needs to go home right now. Let's talk about sixth generation Tom for a bit. At first, I'm not going to lie, I thought this guy seemed like an actor. He's a bit eccentric, a bit kooky, and it seemed like his story had been rehearsed. But then as we learn more about him, I begin to think, well, I don't know if he's actually lying. I really don't think he is an actor. Keep in mind, this happened a long time ago, and I can only imagine how many times he has had a tell his story in the last 50 years. I'm sure everyone he meets wants to know about it, and he's probably told this story millions of times. So while it may sound rehearsed and a little theatrical, I don't think he's trying to con anyone. I think either this really happened to him, or he is at least or he at least truly believes that this happened to him. So that's what I think about Sixth Generation Tom. Back to the story, he bolts out the door and is running for what feels like forever. He's confused as to why he's not home yet. But Jane returns and says he never made it a few feet past their front door. They all notice, seemingly all at once, that Tom is levitating off the ground and running in place. They say they watched in horror as Tom runs frantically in place for a good five minutes. Sixth Generation Tom says in a panic, he turned his whole body, still running in place, still levitating, and that's when he saw the UFO. It's at this point when he sees the UFO that he no longer feels in control of his movements, and he felt like all of the air had been sucked out of his body. His friends see him hovering in the light, and all of a sudden, poof, he disappears before their very eyes. We return to Melanie, and Melanie is still embarrassed because she's being forced to eat ice cream by the lake with her parents. While she's being mortified, a bright light appears in the distance, and their dad says that he wants to chase it. They're begging and pleading with him not to, but he does it anyway because that's what dads do. They embarrass their kids and do things that their kids don't want them to do. The next thing Melanie knows, she's levitating and boarding a ship. She remembers being laid out onto a table. Sixth generation Tom remembers seeing her, but Melanie doesn't remember seeing him. She says she remembers looking around and there are just children everywhere and they begin to disappear one by one by one. It's at this point I turn to Brian and I say, so are these aliens like perverts or what? What's going on here? Because if you remember, Mama Jane and her friend Mary were there for the taking, but the aliens just passed them by, probably too old for their liking. 
Suddenly, Melanie's alone at the lake. She has to walk miles to get home in the dark, in the country, in the middle of nowhere. I would be absolutely terrified. Even if I hadn't thought I was abducted by aliens just barely, I would be afraid I have to walk home in the middle of the night in the country. Something about the country at night just absolutely terrifies me. I think it's scary that if something were to happen to you, that maybe no one would hear you because there's just no one around. Similarly, sixth generation Tom is suddenly laying on the grass with a beam on him. His brother sees him reappear and yells, Tommy, run! Sixth generation Tom tries, but he can't move. Then, from what Tom refers to as mental telepathy, he hears, I'll be done in a minute. And just like that, the beam turns off. Tom can move again, and the UFO disappears. Kid Jane says that Tom had disappeared for seven whole minutes. Melanie says she had never previously met Sixth Generation Tom. Keep in mind, she's 12 and Sixth Generation Tom's like nine. So he's in fourth grade and she's probably in like, what, seventh or eighth grade? So they don't like hang out. But the first time they saw each other after the event, she says she felt this weird but special connection to him. Now we're talking to New York City Tom and his mom, you know, the smart people who decided to move away. Apparently earlier in the evening, New York City Tom had entered a horse show type of thing and had almost been trampled to death. His mom was so relieved, you know, that he didn't die, that even though it was super late and it was a school night, she decided, let's all go to dinner. Good old Nance. Yay, you didn't die. Let's go eat some lasagna. So Nancy, Tom, little brother and grandma go eat and then they take a shortcut home from uh, using the Sheffield Bridge. Nancy says that while they were driving through the bridge, they noticed a bright light raising from the banks of the river. Why? Because the aliens smell children. It's basically hocus pocus, but with aliens. As they exit the bridge, Nancy says they all see a light ball hoovering. She says hoovering, so that's why I'm saying it that way. Hoovering. <laughs> I think she means hovering. Maybe that's how they say it in good old Hollis, New York, but I'm from upstate New York and I have never heard hovering pronounced hoovering. But here we are. Hoovering. New York City Tom said the hoovering orb fired rods of light that filled their entire car, making it feel like it was filled with floodlights. So incredibly bright. Tom and his mother both say the environment around them completely changed. They felt like they were underwater, heavy, humid, and a huge pressure change. Nancy also remarks that it was so quiet. Same thing Mama Jane said, quiet. They pull over and are looking out the window to try and find the hoovering orb when all of a sudden they see the UFO. New York City Tom describes the craft to be like a hundred yards long and it kind of looked like a turtle shell on its side with a ridge in the middle. All of a sudden there was an eruption of summer noise, crickets, katydids, frogs, Tom's fragmented memory can only account for 15 minutes of the three hours of lost time. Nancy is all of us when she says, in some ways she wishes she could remember, but at the same time, 
She's worried that whatever happened is so terrifying that maybe it's for the best she doesn't remember it at all. Ugh, I would hate that. Even just thinking about it gives me the creeps. I have chills right now. Ugh. The next thing she remembers is being in the parking lot of a drugstore. Everything seems to be in place except now grandma is in the driver's seat. And this we later find out is extremely unusual because grandma doesn't drive. Grandma doesn't even have a valid driver's license because her eyesight has gotten so bad over the years. So this is extremely unusual. New York City Tom thinks that whoever was behind this, like the creepy aliens, intended for them to never know what had happened, but they made a huge mistake by putting his grandmother in the driver's seat because that wouldn't have ever happened naturally. You know, unless grandma took a three-hour joyride to the drugstore parking lot and it was so scary that everyone blacked out. Mama Jane said that before this all happened to her, she had been a skeptic to flying saucers and paranormal activity and all this stuff. She gets home and tells her husband right away about what happened to her and Mary and her husband tells her to go down and report it to the radio station. So... Good old Mama Jane immediately drives down to the radio station. I don't know why, but I just think it's so funny. But I just love that Mama Jane doesn't call the radio station. She literally drives down with Mary and just waltzes right in without warning, without making an appointment, and just talks to the guy at the radio station. She tells the radio personality at the time, Tom J, and he kind of laughs it off and says, Hey, what have you and Mary been drinking? Because I want some. Mama Jane leaves. However, later on, Tom starts to hear a bunch of similar reports coming in on his ham radio. And he thinks, huh, maybe there's something to this story. So he hops onto the air and he asks his listeners if any other people have noticed or experienced this strange phenomenon. And he starts getting flooded from calls from people everywhere Pittsfield, Lenox, Stockbridge, Great Barrington, Eagermont, Sheffield, down to North Canaan, Connecticut. I looked it up and from Pittsfield to North Canaan, it's about 45 miles and covers two states. So this is a large group of people. Most of him probably don't even know each other or, you know, conspiring together, experiencing and witnessing the strange object in the sky. But at the same time, let's remember this was 1969, People didn't have the internet, and maybe they were bored. So who knows? Maybe people thought it was another War of the Worlds radio story, and they wanted to be a part of it. We really just don't know. I also learned from an article on thetab.com that it is reported that at least 40 people called into the radio station that night, supposedly with eerily similar corroborating stories. Now, unfortunately, due to the technology of the time, the broadcast didn't save. So unfortunately, the original taping has been lost, damaged, taped over, destroyed. Regardless, they don't have it anymore. Okay, so that makes sense. They had the tape and didn't think of saving it, so now it's gone. But something that's really, I don't know what the word is, interesting, strange... Anyway, something that kind of casts some doubt on the credibility of these stories is that not only are there no police reports about this incident, but there are no newspaper articles reporting the story in the days that follow the incident. 
Remember earlier, Mama Jane was telling us that in these tiny towns, if someone changed their diet from like a roast beef sandwich to a donut, everyone would know about it? You would think that this would be a huge story. Even if people thought it was stupid or silly, I still think it would have been in the paper to give everyone a good laugh and keep things lively and interesting. But Gary Lavelle, a historian, searches all of those little towns that I mentioned earlier. He searches all of their archives from September 2nd to September 30th of 1969, and he doesn't find a single paper that even briefly mentions the story. Gary even gets a hold of the former editor of the Great Barrington paper at the time, and he apparently says, oh, I remember that. I thought it was a bunch of hooey, and so I didn't want to put it in the paper. Hooey. <laughs> I love these 1960s words, don't you? It is totally something my dad would say. I actually think I've heard my dad said, say it before. Hooey. So is it some sort of cover-up? Or do only a few people remember it? Remember, a lot of people are losing gaps of time, sometimes minutes or hours of time. Maybe some memory swipes were better than others? Or is this all a bunch of hooey? Now we meet a local gas station owner who is kind of a weirdo. I'm not even going to really dwell on him because I feel like the editors of this episode just needed it to be a tiny bit longer and so they added his part in. The guy doesn't really add anything to the story other than he heard about it and he, is a, and, he and his friends would go out and try to look for it from time to time. Sixth Generation Tom said he didn't talk about his alien abduction much growing up because he told a few people right after it happened and was made fun of all throughout high school. He always felt like an outcast and says no girls ever wanted to date him. He did draw a painting of his experience, so I'll see if I can get that up on the Instagram. Melanie also said that she didn't talk to many people about it either, just her sister, parents, and boyfriend at the time, who believed her while they were dating, but it seems like he might have turned on her once they broke up. She doesn't come out and say that, but it's just kind of the vibe that I got. But New York City Tom was younger. He was eight or nine at the time, so he actually talked about it a lot at school with anyone who would listen. He says that he didn't do it for attention or anything like that, but it was a heavy experience, and he was just a kid and wanted to get it off of his chest. He just didn't understand the social implications it could have and that there's a right time and a right place to talk about things and to always talk to people that you trust about it, not just anyone who will listen. So he talked about it at school a lot and started to get bullied and kids would pick fights with him because kids can be brutal and seriously suck sometimes. Nancy didn't talk to too many people about it. She was worried about what people would think of her, but I think because of New York City Tom telling everyone about it at school, people were finding out. Eventually, the problems with Tom at school started to get really bad. Nancy was being followed home from work. One man in a truck followed her all the way to her front door. One of her customers, guys, one of her customers at the restaurant that she owned jumped on top of a table, exposed himself, and said, Nancy, if you really want to see something out of this world, take a look at this. Nancy, I'm so sorry you had to go through that girl. It just got to be too much. Just too, too much. That's too much. Too much information, too much bodily exposure, just too much. So eventually Nancy took her boys and mother and she moved away. Nancy was heartbroken because this had been her dream. 
all she wanted to do was move to a quiet town where her boys could be safe and own her own business. And they feel, and yeah, they feel like they were run out of town. Mama Jane returns and expresses remorse for being a skeptic before she had her own personal experience. It was because of her previous skepticism she kept quiet for all of these years, because she didn't want people to think she was crazy or loony and be awful to her family, and as we've seen with the other people's stories, she wasn't wrong in believing that that could happen. Then the documentary delves into some other recent sightings that are completely unrelated to the Berkshires UFO. So again, I think the editors just needed this episode to be like three minutes longer and they just randomly threw the shisha in here, blah, 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 blah. But apparently some Navy air pilots witnessed a spinning top flying up and down, up and down the East Coast in 2014 and 2015. And that's literally it. It should have just been like two sentences, but it drags on for like five to ten minutes. The gas station owner returns, and I know I said I wasn't going to give him any time, but he does make me laugh when he says in his cute little rural Massachusetts accent, hey, this is the military. Hello, I believe it. (laughs) I just love it. Melanie says, why would I make this up? It wasn't fun. It wasn't cool. It wasn't glorifying. This was not my claim to fame. This is not something I would wish on anyone. If someone wants to doubt it, I really don't blame them. I really don't blame them. Sixth generation Tom was the first to come forward in their tiny town, and he gave Melanie and New York City Tom the courage to step forward with their own stories. Sixth generation Tom says he wouldn't make this up. He says, why would I do that? My family has lived here for 186 years, and I still live here. You think I want to be ridiculed and made fun of up and down my main street? Or his son? Or his wife? He says, I didn't do this to hurt anyone. I did it to help people and help to give them a voice. He says, you know, all you have to do is sit there and look at the sky, and sooner or later, you'll see something. And... I kind of want to try it now, ah, but I'm scared, but I also kind of want to try it. <laughs> Mama Jane says she hopes that the viewers at home will just have an open mind. She reminds us that she used to be a skeptic herself, but when it happens to you, you start to believe. She says she's 85 years old and she has nothing left to lose, so she wants to finally speak her truth. She doesn't give a dang about the haters anymore. New York City Tom is letting his New York City attitude show. He is not here for your shisha, and I am all for it. He says, I'm going to break out my New York City accent for you guys. A special treat, he says. It's probably so rusty, but anyways. He says, who the hell are they to question me, huh? I passed the polygraph test. My word is my bond. You got something to say? Say it. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you think. I was there. I was there. Oof. New York City Tom. Mic drop. The episode ends by calling upon anyone who may have witnessed this event on September 1st, 1969 to leave a tip on unsolved.com. And that's the episode, guys. Short and sweet. 
I know that after watching this episode, I was a bit disappointed about the lack of detail there was regarding what happened to them while they were abducted. You know, we get a lot of detail about before and after, but not much during. However, I also feel like the lack of detail makes me believe their story even more, and it, it really intrigues me. I feel like if there had been too much detail, too many embellishments, it would have made the whole thing just seem cheesy and stupid. Plus, I think it would be tempting to, you know, over the years, create things and try to get people to believe you and try to get people on your side. And I appreciate the witnesses um, and how they stayed true to their story without feeling the need to add or embellish it. I do think, I mean, you guys might think I'm crazy, but I do think that there is life out there. I mean, I don't want to go out and look for it. <laughs> I don't ever want to meet any of them. I mean, maybe if there's a nice group of aliens out there who are not too scary or slimy and they want to come down and tell us the cure for cancer or COVID-19 and how to establish world peace and tell me some useful pieces of information about the future that I could use to make money on the stock market. I am all for that, but certainly not the creepy kid-obsessed aliens that we were talking about in this episode. I do not want to meet them at all. <laughs> I read from a Marie Claire article that in 2015, the Great Barrington Historical Society recognized this 1969 supernatural encounter as an official historical event. According, according to Engineering News Record, from our perspective, it's a significantly historic event. Debbie Opperman, the society's director, said to WAMC, basically because it's an event that was important to many people in South County at that time. A memorial to the event was erected by private supporters, but proved controversial and was graffitied and later removed. It featured a plaque that read, The Official Induction of Our Nation's First Off-World UFO Incident. Referring back to that article I was talking to you about earlier, um, it's an article that I found on the tab.com. All right, hear me out. But there is a strange theory that the Berkshire's UFO sighting was real, and to take that even one step further, it was all some sort of payback for the first moon landing. The U.S. first landed on the moon on July 20th, 1969. Then, just over one month later, there's a substantial potential alien sighting suspicious. However, the most wild, widely believed theory of the Berkshire's UFO sighting is that it was just made up. People think the stories may have been made up for fame, to sell the stories, or to just cause general chaos in the local area. It wouldn't be the first time that people have made up these kinds of stories. There are full studies into why people make up encounters with aliens. And you know, because I am dedicated dedicated to you and dedicated to the cause, I looked up a host of studies to learn why people make up alien encounters in the first place. And here's what I found on Metro.co. According to Philip Mantle, a world-renowned UFO researcher. Yeah, guys, that is a job. That could be your job. Do you want that to be your job? Because you could totally be a renowned UFO researcher. There are many reasons why people lie about alien sightings. He says, while there can be many motivations for hoaxing, the most common one is attention seeking. 
It's a case of the nobody who wants to be a somebody. In relation to UFOs, it's particularly effective because hoaxers are pushing at an open door, given that the UFO community has a strong will to believe. Hoaxers take advantage of this by telling people exactly what they want to hear. Long after the details are forgotten, the person will still be known as the crazy guy who claims he saw a UFO. And for those people, even negative fame is fame. So, I want to know, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that there really could be life out there? Do you believe in this particular story? Or do you think it's all a bunch of hooey? Visit the Instagram at mystery still unsolved and let me know. I already know Brian's really going to enjoy this episode of the podcast because no one died. Yay. Get involved in the discussions on Instagram. I promise that I will write back. Most of the time I'm sitting on the couch next to my kids watching super weird Australian kids shows because my oldest has exhausted all of the American options on Netflix because of this dang pandemic. So much scream time is going on at my house. I'm not proud of it, but I'm just too tired to care. (laughs) I'll be here next week with another episode. That is assuming I don't get abducted by aliens. This is so fun, guys. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. It means a lot that you are here. I'll see you guys next Tuesday when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?